so Carson, you wrote the preview for the Indians Red Sox series, which starts when we're recording tonight. Um, obviously, we won't be able to cover and talk about the game, but what are some of the things that kind of stand out, at least on paper, for the series? Uh, the first big thing that I've noticed that stands out in the series is uh, you have two potential MVP candidates on both teams with uh, J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts for the Red Sox and Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez for the Indians. And those are like, obviously, I think Mookie Betts is the favorite for the MVP award right now. Jose Ramirez has, I would say, dropped off a little bit, but he's not like on the hot streak that he was about a month ago. But he is still, I think he's one home run behind J.D. Martinez for that lead. And I think if he gets that lead, it'll be a big help in his MVP contention. But on, on top of that, we do have some interesting pitching matchups, including the first one with Kluber and Porcello. And obviously, by the time this airs, they'll know how it goes. But then another one, like you have uh, Brian Johnson pitching for the Red Sox on Wednesday. And he's a, he's been with them for three years now. He's not a very well-known pitcher. And he's kind of played that Shane Bieber role that the Indians have had with him this year. And he's starting against Nathan Navaldi. So there's some interesting pitching matchups, to say the least. I'm a, My biggest fear is for Adam Plutko and his start against David Price. Yeah, so we are here on the first official episode of the Believe in Ball podcast. That was Carson Farrell opening up, site co-expert. I'm Stephen Kubica. And talking Indians-Red Sox, I want to get back to the first point you made with the MVP race. I think sometimes, at least I know from some journalists, it seems like Jose Ramirez is talked about as an MVP candidate, but really that people are saying, oh, it's Mike Trout versus Mookie Betts and maybe even J.D. Martinez. I don't know if that's... um, west coast and east coast bias i find it interesting because people here i mean i'm located right near cleveland it's jose ramirez is hands down the mvp but you read a lot of national articles and he's mentioned almost as like well we have to mention him but it's between mookie and mike trout do you think mookie's i mean do you think he's gonna win the mvp i think so i I, actually one of my friends that's a red sox fan is saying it's gonna be jd martinez all the way because jd is close to winning the triple crown but I think I'm not a big fan of the war stat, but it does usually play into the MVP conversation. And right now, Mookie Betts leads everybody and more at this at the time of this recording. I actually haven't heard as much about Mike Trout possibly being the MVP contender just because uh, the Angels have fallen off. I'm hearing more and more about it, like at least on the MLB network and a lot of the national networks. Like you're going to see a lot of talk about Mookie Betts, and partially I think it's because he pl- actually plays defense compared to JD Martinez. So. Of the two candidates on the Red Sox, I would say that Mookie is definitely the prime candidate. It's interesting you bring up the Triple Crown. I feel like that before kind of the big analytics surge, that was the go-to stat. But I think now I'm curious to see how many – I want to say that most writers wouldn't vote just on that, but then I see how some of the Hall of Fame voting goes. So I know that the people voting aren't necessarily – uh, maybe is into all the sabermetric stats that are readily available. But, yeah, just to the overall point of a storyline, one of the storylines, you know, with you writing the preview, just all these MVP candidates. And entering tonight, are the Red Sox, if I'm correct, is their record 88-37? and 37? Yep. <laughs> is that insane? I uh, When I was typing up the preview, and I, usually I'll, I'll put the records in there whenever I compare the two teams. And I put like five exclamation marks next to the Red Sox uh, record in parentheses because that's just absolutely absurd. And I honestly feel pretty good about the Indians' record at 70, 71 and 52. Like that if they were in the National League, they'd be tied for first place. But just you look at that and then you compare it to the Red Sox record and you're like, this doesn't even feel that great now. Like, And that's not to put down the Indians and how well they play this year, 
it just goes to show how good the Red Sox are and how deep they've been too because they've played with a, a lot of injuries recently, especially in that series where they swept the Yankees. And they still, like, they've come, they go in there. The Yankees had their injuries. The Red Sox had their injuries, and they still go in there and sweep them. So I do think a big part of this series coming up is that the Indians will not have Trevor Bauer, but the Red Sox won't have Chris Sale. And I don't think Chris Sale was scheduled to pitch in this series anyhow, but I think it does play into, like, a mental aspect for the Red Sox. And then another thing I noticed, like, if you're comparing the two teams, the bullpen is a big thing for the Red Sox because they have given up quite a few runs recently from their bullpen, even from a guys like uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell. And then the, they have troubles hitting left-handed pitchers, and they've had that all year. And while the Indians don't have any lefty starters, they do have that great trio of lefties in the bullpen with Oliver Perez, Brad Hand, and Andrew Miller. One thing from this series, too, I wanted to bring up, kind of a, a more overarching view. I feel like if the Indians lose the series or, God forbid, get swept, a lot of people may say, oh, you know, it's the the Red Sox are going to win the AL. The Indians stand no chance. But, I mean, if the Indians were in the National League entering tonight, they'd be tied for the best record. I feel like even if they lose the series, it's not a big deal. Do you agree with that? Like, it's not it's not fun to watch, but it's not the end of the world. I think it's more of a measuring stick of anything else because we can see how Cleveland stacks up against a big contender. But at the same time, yeah, it's not really going to affect their playoff position. They're actually, I think, only three wins behind the Astros right now for that second seed. So they're they're definitely moving their way up. And, I mean, a sweep here would definitely be awful. And a loss of the series wouldn't be fun. But, yeah, it's not like it's not a big difference maker because we saw, like, the Indians had the best record in the American League last year, and they go into the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round. And that's not to say that will happen to the Red Sox, but it just goes to show you, like, the regular season can be used as a measuring stick, but it shouldn't be used to get the full picture of what could happen in the playoffs. Also, I'd like to point out, I said that Mookie Betts was the leader in war, and on fan graphs, Jose Ramirez is actually the leader right now at uh, 8.2. So good for, yeah, good for so, our boy, Jose. Yeah. And one player who is in the lineup tonight when we're recording is Yandy Diaz, who's hitting cleanup and will hopefully remain in the lineup, I'm assuming, until Edwin's back. And even then... That's kind of a hot topic, too. The rosters do expand at the beginning of September. So I think the Yandy Diaz, a lot of people saying, oh, he has to be on the roster. They have to find him time. Once September hits, I feel like that should be a moot point. But then becomes the question of where are you going to put him in October or is he even going to be on the roster? Personally, I think he has to be on the roster. Do you agree with that? I would agree. I think like even keeping him on the bench, like it's something that the Indians definitely need because – He's really given them the most production that they've gotten out of any player either coming up from AAA or coming from the bench, save Shane Bieber coming up from AAA to pitch. But I mean, Greg Allen, I do enjoy Greg Allen. He actually had a pretty good game on a Sunday against Baltimore, but he's not given the Indians the production that Yanni Diaz has had. And Melky Carrera has actually come up and been pretty productive for um, what he's doing, and he can play the outfield, which is what Cleveland needs. So I think when you have those two coming up from AAA, and they, I think they should be there to stay, when the, uh, the playoff roster does roll around. The main point, I think, with Yandy, and I agree too, love me some Greg Allen, but it'd be ideal to have someone else. My main point is consistency. So, like, if you're going to put Jason Kipnis in the outfield, such as we've seen in the past, with a below-average bat, how can you keep Yandy out of the lineup 
you have to be able to find him in maybe a corner outfielder spot or even third base, shift Jose over to second. It just doesn't make sense to me. It almost seems like there's unknown reasons why he's not in there. I, I mean, I would hate to find that out, like uh, kind of what happened with Francisco Mejia, where there was some kind of underlying cause for why he was not in the lineup and not used as much. But this isn't like it's a one-year wonder thing for Yandy either because he was pretty good in 2017 when it came to batting average as well. He ended up finishing out the year with a 263 average, which is above the league average considering like how much players strike out nowadays. And he still had a three, uh, 352 on-base percentage compared to the 455 this year, which obviously he led AAA in walks and he led it in um, on-base percentage. Or not AAA, but uh, the International League. So, uh, I mean, I don't see any reason to keep him off the roster. I mean, his batting average is below 500 now, so... Maybe Tito's didn't like that. I don't. I don't really know, but it's it's a weird thing to see, and I really hope it's not like another Mejia situation. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating too because even think, I believe it was last year, wasn't Gio Urshela playing third against the Yankees and had mm-hmm. a few errors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you he. Think, um, oh, and that was after he made some incredible catches in the regular season too. Yeah, so you say like, oh well, we got to go defense. Can't have Yandi out there if he has, which he's not even a bad defender, but can't have him out there and then you have the person out there for defense can't hit and all just in that situation and then ends up making an error although i do believe urshela was blasted the shin mm. with a line drive so and then um, or a hard grounder and then another thing uh i guess terry artito said it was last week that there was no plans to put jason kipnis in the outfield this year so i think that adds another element of things to it because now he's basically ride or die now with this infield alignment that they have which obviously doesn't have a place for Yandi, but Yandi can still be a DH, meaning Edwin doesn't have to hit every night, which Edwin hasn't been the most productive this year. His production has slowly declined since coming to Cleveland. So it's I mean, it's not the end of the world like to keep Edwin out of the lineup and put Yandi in for a game or two. I get it with Kipnis because of his contract, but at the same time, the goal is to win a World Series. So you can't just put people out there just because of their name, which, I mean... Terry Francona is a genius manager, but it's sometimes he makes decisions. You're like, it's it's a cl- I know it's a classic case. This for is for anything. If it fails, everyone's mad. If it succeeds, it's a smart idea. But I don't know. With y- if Yandi is available and healthy and not on the postseason roster, and they lose or have subpar offense, which they've had at points throughout the year, it's just gonna be very frustrating. Well, it'll be just that same old situation that we saw last year with the uh, the pitching decision to start Trevor Bauer in Game One, and obviously, I mean. I wouldn't say it was the reason the Indians lost, but it caused a lot of backlash that the fans let out for the front office or for the uh, the management. Uh, just yeah, the allowing biggest issue with that was a, a injured Corey Kluber, mm-hmm. which <laughs> which was, now we might have an injured Trevor Bauer. God forbid. Yeah, but I uh, I don't know if you read the articles recently where he's saying like how mad he is that he can't even be pitching right now. Like no one loves to pitch more than Trevor Bauer. I don't think like he is the Francisco Lindor equivalent of being happy on the mound, except Trevor Bauer is just very narcissistic in a great way yeah i wrote about that like that situation i maybe over the weekend i a lot of people sometimes with bauer i know he was was like not even outspoken but spoken on politics and whenever that happens with athletes it's always a big issue for some but i feel like everyone should want their pitchers and baseball players in general to be wanting to be out there playing yeah absolutely. like i saw some reaction like oh he just needs to be quiet it's like don't you want him on the mound? Like the medical staff is there, luckily nowadays, to protect players from injuring themselves even further. But I, I mean, I like what even. I mean, obviously he's a Cy Young contender, but I have no issue with the way he is. That's I mean, like obviously he wants to be out there pitching when he's having arguably the best year of his career. Like 
if he looks at those numbers and sees, well, why am I not out there improving on those numbers and trying to be even better and contend for a Cy Young Award? Because this would have been the chance to do it now, because now Chris Sale's on the DL. Like, this would have been your chance to really kind of jump over Chris Sale for that Cy Young contention. But, and I remember writing about that um, right before he went on the DL, saying if Trevor Bowers can, can continue these things and if the Indians can beat up Chris Sale, then he would have a chance for the Cy Young Award. But now it's obviously... It's not really going to work out too well in his favor if he's going to miss the final quarter of the season. Yeah, and it it obviously comes back to the goals to win a World Series, but I totally get his frustration. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if he is going to come back and pitch in the playoffs, then I want to be sure that he is healthy. Like, I don't, I don't want to see him go out there and pitch like a just a random game there at the end of September just to try and like. I mean, I get yeah, he needs to get his reps in, but I want to make sure he's fully healthy instead of have him be unhealthy like how Corey Kluber was in the postseason last year. And kind of shifting gears on topics here, I just wanted to bring it up quick. Were you able to watch the Jim Tomey ceremony Saturday? Um, I was actually at Universal in uh, Orlando, oh, so I didn't, I didn't get to see that one, but I did get to watch like some of the video of it and read about it. So it was kind of interesting because I assumed it was just going to be the normal retirement ceremony. Like It was no secret they were going to retire his number. So that was cool. But then they had him go to home plate. They had the, like... Feel the Dreams music on her from the natural, um, from like the old all-star baseball video game, like that music. And then they had him jog around the bases with his son, and then they had him mobbed at home plate. And I was like, that was the most insane Jersey retirement ceremony I've ever seen. But he's also still so young, which is it's why it's so interesting with him. He's going to be around the team for 30, 40 more years. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if he will take up another role with the team. or I mean, obviously, like, fans were bitter whenever he left for philadelphia but like just to see to see him be welcomed back like that and to see like everyone going out there with the high top socks i think it was like it was definitely one of the better celebrations i've seen for someone being inducted to have their number retired like i I, uh, this is obviously for a different team but when peyton manning went in last year for the colts ring of honor like i feel like that could have played up better like how this was kind of played up to be such a big ceremony yeah people who are still mad at tommy need to chill out yeah he left a team that was clearly rebuilding, and he took his guaranteed money. I remember we were both young when that happened, mm-hmm. and I remember people being like, oh, he left for money. Nowadays, I'm like, I would leave for that guaranteed yeah, money. Especially and he left age. after, yeah, and he left after, he was here for like 13 seasons, which is insane. And then he, they went through an improbable run, didn't win, and I think ultimately he wanted to play with Charlie Manuel anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be mad at anybody, if Indians fans should be mad at anyone from that 90s team, be mad at Albert Bell, not Jim Tomey. Yeah. Which uh, brings up, I think, an interesting question that I had, uh, is who will anyone else from that 90s team have their number retired or make it to the Hall of Fame? Hall of Fame-wise, Omar and Kenny Lofton are the two who would qualify. I mean, Kenny Lofton was, is one of those players who, with like advanced metrics, should probably be in. I think he got but removed for from future consideration. I think he got removed. Yeah. Maybe you could get on the players. Mm. Like, they have the, I don't know what it's called, but a different ballot. But I don't know. I think Omar could have his number retired, but then you start getting in the tricky situation of, are we retiring too many numbers? Yeah. That Which was, some teams get into, like the Yankees, and there's no numbers left. Yeah, that's something I honestly thought about. Like, if not retiring a number, maybe, like, give him a statue, like a Kenny Lofton, especially, like, in the outfield. I think Omar Vizquel would be a good one. Um Sandy Alomar, even though he's still with the team now, like those are all like all three of those players are obviously like 
to me, they're just as iconic as Jim Tomey was. Yeah, interesting thing, too, as I pointed out, um, is that Mark Price has his number 25 retired by the Cavs. Tomey has his number 25 retired by the Indians. So that number is kind of a very historic number here in Cleveland. Um, do we have anyone from the Browns with number 25? I don't know. The Browns have so many retired numbers, like all these old football teams do. So now they're just, like, getting rid of that, but I'm not sure with them. Do the That's Browns a, use the old Browns retired numbers, the new Browns? They don't. They don't? Okay. I know with a team, I also cover the Buffalo Bills on fan-sided, and they started to have so many, and they even had unofficial retired numbers that you couldn't wear. I'm um, like, there, there reaches a point where, like with Jim Tomey, he already has a statue. Like, you could still put a number in the outfield, and people could still wear it. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Like, the, I think there's a difference between the Ring of Honor and retired numbers. Like, you can put a number up in the Ring of Honor and still not have it retired, which I think is an approach that the Indians should make, although, like, they haven't really done that yet. I'm pretty sure every number they have out there on the wall yeah. is a retired number. But um, I don't know. I still think, like, there should be at least some form of appreciation for guys like Lofton and Vizquel. Well, I believe they're in the Indians Hall of Fame that's out in the outfield. Are they? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. They have the whole, like, forget the name off the top of my head, Heritage Park, where they have... Like, every good Indians player is out there. Hmm. There's there's so many, like, honors that somebody can get. And it's I mean, honestly, I think it's, like, a way to sell tickets. Like, like what the White Sox did with Jim Tomey in Chicago. Like, I feel like that was just kind of a marketing thing. Like, it sells tickets. And the Indians had a sellout on Saturday. Yeah. Like, I mean, teams will put some of these things together just to sell tickets, even if it's, like, not, like, you're, you're being inducted into the, the Hall of Fame in left field, but you got to, and next year you might be inducted into the, the right field Hall of Fame. Just so you can sell more tickets and do a jersey giveaway for you. Yeah, there's going to be Jim Tomey jersey giveaways for years. Oh, yeah, bobbleheads, jersey giveaways. I'm sure there will be a lot of stuff that goes on with this. And why not? I mean, he made it, he's the first Indians to be in the Hall of Fame. I, who's the last Indians player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? You know, I'm not I, sure, I but I think they name. only have 12. Yeah, so they might as well milk this for all it's worth, considering he's the, he's the first one to go in there with the block C cap, so and he never even wore it. Yeah, but I, as a... It's coming in my head. A random trivia fact. I think my first bobblehead's a Jim Tomey bobblehead, really? which shows how long I've been collecting bobbleheads. Like it's like an old two thousand Jim Tomey bobblehead giveaway. I think I have like three Tomey bobbleheads. That's so from a young age. I was ready, ready for this ceremony Saturday, and I I I get like emotional during some sporting events. And I was just watching it, like just sitting here on my computer. And then they had him run around the bases. I was like, man, this is a lot. <laughs> this, it was very this drawn is intense. out. Oh, yeah. And they were playing music over the speeches. It was like kind of a bad ceremony, like in terms of how it was run. I mean, to really nitpick it, but just him talking and like seeing him with his son. I was like, this is insane. I, uh, and then they lost. To touch. <laughs> that's the uh, Adam Plucko has been a, a tiny bit worrisome recently since watching him. But um, I think my first bobblehead I got was a Grady Sizemore bobblehead. Was it the or, one of him diving with the superhero cape on? No, it was a it was a spring training one that I got when they were down oh, okay. here. And there was a Grady Sizemore one, and then a Bob Feller one. Which when, when uh, Bob was still alive, he would always come to the Winter Haven mm-hmm. Complex and sign autographs. So I think he was one of my first autographs I got too. Actually, that's a pretty good first autograph. Another retired yeah, Indian, a retired Hall of Famer too, and a World War II veteran. Yeah. Although I, th- I believe when he got older, it's the classic thing that he was kind of grumpy. Did you ever um, encounter that? 
I mean, if he was eight year old me, was was really yeah. not paying attention to how grumpy he was, he might have not. I mean, just thought know, it was a normal he was in his nineties out in the Florida humidity. I probably wouldn't have been happy either. Yeah, because um, they were talking about him on the radio, and just in general, he would like charge people for autographs, which is smart. Yeah. I see no issue with it. Yeah, if you're ninety years old, you gotta you know you gotta start looking at life insurance and all that stuff. And your salary was like five thousand dollars or something. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know how much his MLB salary was holding up after uh, after he retired from back then. So, kind of moving on back to current Indians or future Indians, we're still in the point right now where the Indians can make a waiver trade. Uh, I saw. If, I saw a tweet that the latest rumors involved Andrew McCutcheon and even Josh Donaldson. I like the idea for McCutcheon. I'm not so sure if I'm sold on Donaldson. I'm not sure how he'd fit if the Indians aren't going to play Yandy Diaz. Yeah, I do remember. Why would you bring um, in Donaldson? I mean, if, we're, if we're talking about the infield alignment, which um, Tito said he wants to keep running, then it wouldn't make sense to add another infielder at all. I do remember writing about McCutcheon uh, about a week ago. I think he would have been a good fit, especially considering Lonnie Chisenhall may not be back. Uh, Bradley Zimmer obviously is not coming back, and I think they do need that outfield help, although Milky Cabrera has uh, kind of aided that a little bit. But they still need someone that can go out there and play a center field spot. So, um, I, I mean, think it may back- come down to how Leonis Martin is progressing, mm-hmm. too, yeah, before August 31st. I think that will definitely play into it. I doubt he'll be back by that time because they have not even said any a word about his uh, – Return to they baseball just said he went home. Yeah, yeah. Which good good thing there because uh, yeah. that was actually I like I at first I like joked about it. I was like, well, he must have had some bad food poisoning. I didn't realize like how serious it was. Like, what, was it amoebas or something like that? They had some kind of. Well, it was like a a bacterial infection. What was weird because when it happened, it was kind of like said as a joke. Terry Francona said he had intestinal turmoil, but I mean those things progressed so fast. He went to the hospital and they're like. We need to keep you here. And yeah, that's it. was, it. like, affecting his organs and everything, a very scary stuff. Luckily, he was in Cleveland, though, with the Cleveland Clinic and all that. But, yeah, I'm not sure if it would be even right to bring him back this year. But uh, looking at McCutcheon, um, I guess that would play a lot into what Leonis is doing because their numbers really aren't that different. I have uh, both their slash lines here, and McCutcheon's got a uh, 261, 357, and 418 slash line, and uh, Leonis has a 255. 323 and 425 so it's really not a vast difference there and uh Leonis is actually slugging a bit better than what McCutcheon has there but um and then on top of that you're taking on the remainder of his contract which is um I don't remember how much is left on there but uh considering that Martin still has another year left on his deal uh, I wouldn't say it's the best move but it really just depends on how like they want to go I do think another option would be a uh, Jose Bautista because I think that would, that be, would an, be interesting. That'd be an interesting trade target there. He's obviously not, he's not playing too bad right now in New York. He had a hot start and then cooled off, but I know he did hit a grand slam and they're like twenty five run w- win they had recently. And, but I mean, if you're only looking to have him play good for, you're really looking for like twenty to thirty at bats out of him. The odds that he could at least do good in a third of those based on his past. I mean. You can't turn that down. And, like, how we're talking about trade targets, a lot of people, assume, I remember with Bryce Harper, like, if the Indians get Bryce Harper, World Series. It's like, well, he's only one of nine guys in the lineup. Mm. So, And he wasn't exactly having the best year until after the All-Star yeah. break or after the Hit deadline. Like 220. But um, I do think Batista would be an interesting one. I think it would kind of be like a Jay Bruce kind of situation, what they did last year where adding him was just, just for the playoff push, just to get a big bat in there. He's, like, 
not the most effective when it came to getting on base, although I think he did have a pretty good series there against Philly. But um, I, I just don't see, like, what player would be, like, a wow kind of change, like, for the outfield. Like, I think McCutcheon would be the biggest name that Cleveland could go after. And, again, like, you want to talk about selling jerseys and selling tickets, I think that would definitely be something that did it. But it's not like the Indians front office to go out there and make that big kind of splash move, especially when they have someone relatively similar to his numbers in Leonis Martin. Yeah, and even right now, I mean, they have Greg Allen out there. You really have to determine is the player we're getting, assuming Leonis Martin is still out, is the player we're getting going to be significantly better than Greg Allen, like to the point where it's a no-brainer. I do think that now that, I mean, you have you have Martin on the DL and you have so many outfielders on the DL, I think like going for an outfielder would be a good move for the uh, for Indian uh, for the Indians to do like at this time, especially considering they didn't really go after one at the deadline. Aside from Martin, and that, the guy that they go after is sidelined for who knows how long. And I think it would make sense for them to definitely try and make a waiver move, and also considering the fact that it would block the Astros the Yankees and the Red Sox from getting those players, although the Indians might pass the Astros relatively soon. But I think there's a couple factors that play into it that the front office might want to look at. And if they're trying to go after a guy like McCutcheon, maybe the Giants say, you need to give us a higher prospect. Like, we're not just going to give him away for nothing, even though they could lose him anyway. But you just never know. If you have the leverage, if a team like the Indians are desperate, I don't think they're going to get a deal like last year where they got Jay Bruce for a low-level prospects yeah. um, just to pay a salary. They I, Look, as long as they don't give away Tristan McKenzie, that's my biggest concern, which I know. I remember, I remember there were uh, rumors about that around the trade deadline. Like uh, I think a couple of scouts had come to watch him when he was playing in double-A. But, I mean, aside I'm from sure that... he's always in trade offers that the Indians just turned down. Mm-hmm. Which is for good reason, because I think he's going to be a great pitcher. And I think, even though the was Indians... Was he in the hmm? Jonathan Lucroy trade? No, I think he's a homegrown guy. No, I mean, was he offered oh, was he up offered in that it? Lucroy trade? That's a good question. Because I know Mejia was. Yeah, I know. I knew Mejia was. I just, I don't. I'm not think sure if McKenzie he was. Would be. I don't. I don't have to look back at that because I really don't remember the logistics of that trade. Obviously, yeah. I'm pretty I happy. I mean, regardless, right now, I do agree. They can't get rid of him, especially this time of year. That'd yeah. be insane. It's. Uh, I mean, it's something to look at maybe down the road. Like, but considering the Indians have most of their current starters uh, under contract until 2020 his time in the majors may not come for a while. And at the same time, that's two years away. I don't know how ready he'll be in two years. Yeah. I don't know. I look at, like I was, I've been saying, a lot of these waiver trades, like you can't give away too much because you're only getting so much in return based on how much they're actually going to play. But for, as, as in terms of targets, McCutcheon's the only one who, I see as like a significant upgrade. But even then, a lot of that is just going off his name. At least that's the way I see it. People hear his name, they're like, oh, Andrew McCutcheon, he's been good, right? Mm. It's like, yeah, he's playing solid, but it's not like we're getting... It's, it was like the same thing with Bryce Harper. Like, he's having a down year, and he's not on contract next year, so you can't give up too much for him. Well, I, I do remember I um, considered Leonis Martin another great option, but or not Leonis Martin, uh, Adrian Beltre another great option. But at the same time, I think now when you look at the infield alignment, there's really no sense in that kind of move. So, I mean, McCutcheon is the most obvious choice. I think there's a couple other outfielders out there that could see fit for the Indians. But aside from that, I think the only move they make here at the waiver mark would be an outfielder. Unless uh, somehow they make some move for a big starting pitcher. But that's not the biggest need for them. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, 
considering in the playoffs you're going to go through a rotation of Bauer, Kluber, and Carrasco, then it makes no sense to add another starting pitcher. Yeah, you still have Clevenger there. Mm-hmm. And Clevenger, and like, if, I mean, you'll have Bieber if you want him. Clevenger will probably be in the bullpen, I'm assuming, for the ALDS, but if they make a seven-game series, then, yeah, I'm sure he could pitch and start a pitching there. I think this time of year, too, like with the deadline, when there's so many possibilities, it's just a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. And really, the Indians could still win 95 games with their current roster and be fine in the playoffs, yeah, as long I mean, as their I, offense shows up. I think the speculation's a fun part of it, but realistically, like, yeah. if the Indians can somehow get Lonnie Chisenhall back, which I have not really seen any updates on him recently, and if Leonis Martins back in time for the playoffs, then it's not a bad outfield considering you still have Michael Brantley out there in left field. Yeah, and a month from now we could be saying, oh, like we're back to normal. Mm. We have a 20-game lead in the division. It doesn't matter. But I do understand you have to be forward-thinking too, and that's kind of the whole point of websites like ours yep. is to have fun with the possibilities. We're not just going to every day write like, oh, it's fine. Like No articles, no nothing. Nope, there's just uh, no point in writing about anything today because the Cleveland <laughs> Indians are – 14 games above the Minnesota Twins and playing the worst division in baseball. Yeah. As we, I'm kind of wrapping it up, I think my main thing to be excited about this Red Sox series is that the Red Sox are the last good team the Indians play all season. They play them again in September. But aside from that, it's a lot of AL Central. I think we play the Rays and maybe the Blue Jays as well. But just a lot of bad teams. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone should just be excited and just <laughs> watch this series um, was it last year when the Indians gave up like a like that insane game? Maybe it was like like the Red Sox hit a walk off home run or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the game with um, Chris Sale and uh, Carlos Jackson's Carrasco. Yeah, that was where Chris Sale and Carrasco started, and uh, everyone thought it was going to be a pitcher's duel, and they both ended up allowing seven runs. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's a little less exciting than that <laughs> if it ends up. I can't, in the Red Sox I can't favor, afford but... to have that panic in my life right now. I have too much going yeah. on to have those heart attacks. Go back. That would go back on what I said about not being too up or down, a game like that. Yeah. Although if we see some of those games this week, then I will be 100% ride or die on the Indians are making going to win the World oh, yeah. Series if we win one of those kinds of games. So It's the classic got to stay calm unless it's in your favor. If we, yeah, if we, win the, if we win the series, we're going to the World Series and we're going to win it all. If we lose the series, it's not a big deal. It's only, it's only uh, August. <laughs> yeah, I think on that point, with peak excitement, we could wrap it up and kind of plug now that we are on itunes you just have to search believeland ball we should we should be on google play i have an iphone so i'm not sure but itunes and google play are the places we go to first and we showed up on itunes right away if we're not there yet we should be soon you can also find us on spreaker which is where we're hosted we also tweet out the episodes we're gonna write a post on it um but if you're subscribed it comes to your phone right away so as soon as it's published at least with iTunes, I know this. It, you get an alert and everything. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and if, um, if we're not on Google Play, then feel free to go on Twitter or Facebook and let mm-hmm. us know. Like, we're not on there, exactly. and we'll try and get that situated. Yeah, it's us iPhone people. Yeah. Just <laughs> used to only iTunes. And, yeah, tweet at us. Let us know what you want to hear on shows, uh, what you think of the show. And on iTunes, if you want to leave some reviews, that's always helpful. helps our ranking show up a little higher when it comes to Cleveland Indian searches. Yeah, I did go around sharing to uh, all of my followers on all the social media. So if you, even if you don't listen to the show, just go on and leave a review and tell us we're handsome. (laughs) All right, on that note, we are excited for this Red Sox series, and we will see you next week. Take it easy. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.